Sons of Saturday, Virginia Tech Hoops Pod. It is March 7th, 2022. We have finally come to ACC Tournament Week. Virginia Tech just lost to Clemson on Saturday in the season finale, regular season finale. With that loss, Virginia, Virginia Tech still remains in the first four out in the latest bracketology from Joe Lenardi. Virginia Tech has an ACC draw in which they'll have to play the winner of NC State and Clemson. There is a decent chance that Virginia Tech gets a rematch against Clemson later this week in the second round of the ACC tournament. Virginia Tech drew a seven seed after falling to Clemson on Saturday. Ed, how are you feeling about the state of things right now? Virginia Tech, in my estimation, did exactly what they needed to do to get themselves back in tournament contention, tournament conversation, right? They won what we said had to be eight out of the last 10 games. That's exactly what they did. They won eight out of the last 10 games. They probably should have won nine out of 10 because things did not go the way they needed to go against Clemson. And Virginia Tech, quite honestly, if they made a couple more threes against Carolina a couple weeks back, could have won all 10 of these games. Um, But Virginia Tech wins eight out of 10, which is something you and I said that they absolutely needed to do at the outset. And now they're on the brink of reaching the NCAA tournament despite that loss to Clemson on the road on Saturday, how are we feeling about things? The Clemson loss is super frustrating because it was a very winnable game in which all of the flaws of this team um, showed themselves. Lack of physicality, I think, was the biggest issue that this team had. Um, PJ Hall played for Clemson, which there were some questions about him, his status going into the week. Um, and he's a very, very physical presence and he gave us a hard time but I think it was more about what Virginia Tech didn't do than what Clemson did do in that game just the Hokies didn't have their best game um, and still had a chance to win which is kind of the theme of the season at this point but some of the takes I've seen on Twitter and message boards like are so funny to me because if you think back to November December the way this team was playing and the record and all those things and you know, these are the same people who are complaining now that were complaining then that were awfully quiet um, during the 10-game stretch where the Hokies won 8 out of 10. Um, I, I mean, oh, it's, it certainly is disappointing that we're not in a place right now where we're safely in the tournament um, with a roster that, you know, I think was, we've, you know, we've beaten this horse to death, was probably in a lot of ways flawed that fans overlooked. Um, but even still, Mike Young and the staff were able to, rip off eight out of 10 wins and finish with 19 on the, in the regular season. Um, That's a very good season by most program standards and certainly by Virginia tech standards. Um, I think people in the Virginia tech world have a little bit of a recency bias and forget what this program, you know, was not even five years ago in terms of its relevancy nationally and where it are, where it is now and think that, um, the standard is the NCAA tournament. And yeah, that should be the standard. And I don't think anyone in the program would tell you otherwise when talking about this season in particular, but um, what this staff was able to do with a flawed roster, um, as, you know, as we saw, it was very flawed going, you know, the first two months, three months of the year, what they were able to do in terms of turning it around, riding the ship and putting this program in the conversation to be in the NCAA tournament um, after the start that they had is, is truly remarkable. And, a testament to how good of a coach Mike Young is, 
um, how good some of these assistants are and resiliency of the players. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm not like angry about this season. I'm frustrated. I mean, I would love for them to be in a position where you win that UVA game, you win that Miami game at home, you win that Xavier game on a tip in, um, you know, some of those wins and, you know, you're safely in the conversation, but overall, I, I, it's truly remarkable that we were able to win eight out of 10 uh, after the way things were going early on. And I think a lot of fans are forgetting where we were in December and talking about how this season ended uh, with a loss to Clemson. You would have think that, you know, we lost eight out of 10 going into the end of the year. It's, it, some of the takes out there, man, are just ridiculous. I think, uh, I think some of those fans that you're referring to, I think they relaxed a little bit once they saw Virginia Tech was still in the first four out and that the loss didn't, the loss of Clemson didn't necessarily hurt Virginia Tech. It didn't help, you know, Virginia Tech, you know, could have really used that win. Um, it's now one more win they may need to get in the ACC tournament. But I, I think Virginia Tech, like you and I went, we can go back and look and see, you know, what we thought the Hokies would be in the preseason. I mean, I, I think it's safe for me to say anyway that I thought Virginia Tech would be a top five team in the conference. They finished seventh. So realistically, they're about three or four games worse than I thought they would be. And you can easily pick those three or four games out, right? You lose on the road in Chestnut Hill. You lose at home to NC State after a COVID pause. You lose on a half-court buzzer beater to Miami. You lose uh, in the last minute against Xavier. You lose in the last minute against UVA in Charlottesville. Like, you can easily pick these games out this year, Ed, where I thought Virginia Tech, you know, even if you win a couple of those games that I mentioned, Virginia Tech is probably a top-five team in this conference, is probably safely in the the NCAA tournament. So I think that from the standpoint of high expectations coming into the year – Virginia Tech certainly didn't meet those, right? So I guess on one hand, you can say, oh, yeah, you know, the regular season, I think, has been a bit of a disappointment. But at the same time, you have to take a step back, look at it and say, okay, this team was a little bit more flawed than I think a lot of fans thought, right, number one. And then number two, did fans have unrealistic expectations for Virginia Tech entering the year, right? Like, Virginia Tech did return, you know, three, they, they returned two seniors, right? And a third was inserted into the starting lineup in Storm Murphy from Wofford. And things didn't necessarily go according to plan early in the year. You know, the team had some growing pains as they kind of reimmersed themselves with this new lineup. You know, Hunter Couture was now a more consistent starter that he hasn't been in recent years, right? Um, he's been coming off the bench a good bit in the first couple of years of his career. Now he's a starter, right? You insert Storm Murphy, who hasn't played with this team before. So there were some growing pains early in the year. There was a really, really poor shooting of Naheem Aleen. He's really steadied the ship in the second part of conference play, but he was shooting the ball really, really poorly, um, especially in non-conference play and early in ACC play, where you were like, okay, this is like unsustainably bad from a guy who we know can fill it up, right? Um, and, And we've talked about offensive flaws from a, schematic standpoint right where tech is lacking that go-to score Um, but there have been a lot of bright spots since then you know I think the offense has now gelled a bit better Darius Maddox and Sean Padula are playing more prominent roles off the bench Javon Gusan is playing a more prominent role off the bench they didn't play early in the year Mike Young began to gain trust in his younger players where he was talking about okay if Padula and Maddox want to play more you know I got to be able to trust them on defense well 
consider some of the really key defensive possessions in the last five games that Padula and Maddox have both been on the floor a good bit in a lot of those key defensive possessions at the end of games. Think back to the end of the Miami game, you know, where shot where um, Hunter Couture breaks up the pass and Darius Maddox hits the three to essentially win the game for the Hokies. Maddox was on the floor. Sean Padula was on the floor, you know, a, a sophomore and a, and a true freshman. So that gives you kind of a sense of where this Hokies team was early in the year, where they're at now going into the ACC tournament. I still think everything that Virginia Tech wants in terms of an NCAA tournament berth is still in front of them. Again, you, you're, you're going to be able to get potentially a rematch with Clemson. You're going to be able, if you win that game, to, to play against Notre Dame, who got a double bye, right? A, a team that has, has been very good this year, but that Virginia Tech has already beaten number one and number two matches up very well against. And then if you win that game, you have potential to play North Carolina, and give yourself a chance to make it to the ACC championship. And I, I think, you know, if you look at the two North Carolina games, right, both with varying results in terms of the margin of victory, but you look at where Virginia Tech was in both of those games, the Hokies definitely gave themselves a chance to win in the first matchup, just kind of got gassed with their, with, in terms of their legs in the, in the second half. And then the second matchup literally could not make a shot, did not make a shot the entire game, it felt like. If Virginia Tech saw two or three more three-pointers fall, they win that game in Blacksburg. So Virginia Tech can beat North Carolina. I really believe that. They can beat Notre Dame. They've already done it. And they certainly can and should have beaten Clemson on Saturday. So if Virginia Tech sees them later this week, I think the Hokies with a, with a better shooting game and you know uh, increased defensive intensity could reverse that um, could reverse that result that we just saw over the weekend. Yeah, while the loss to Clemson over the weekend was frustrating, I, I still think they're kind of in the same position that we would have been anyway, needing to win um, two games at least in the ACC tournament, mainly just because of the quality of wins. They need to get another quality win, um, and beating a Notre Dame team would would provide that. But, yeah, you touched on a lot of stuff there from the whole year. Um, I think the emergence of Sean Padula as a primary ball handler um, and a guy who has shown the ability to put his head down and get to the basket with great success uh, opened up a lot of things for this offense, um, caused the offense to be much less interior dependent in the form of Aluma and Mutz, um, allowed Naheem Aline to play much more to his game, which is not as a primary ball handler and slasher. Uh, he's a much better spot up shooter. And we've seen that as the years progressed, he's gotten back to being able to play how he did last year. Um, as a second and third scoring option on the perimeter. And he's had much, much better success as a result of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, Chris Harvin talked about this when I interviewed him on our last Hokie Hoops pod. I encourage everybody to go back and listen to that if they, um, if they haven't already. But, you know, the inability of the young guys to get to a place where they can be trusted and get on the floor defensively is what kind of stunted the growth of um, Darius Maddox and his inability to get on the floor last year. And he's improved dramatically on the defensive end this year and has therefore been able to play significant minutes and show off that offensive game that has always been college ready. Um, it was the def defensive lacks that were keeping him off the floor. Uh, same goes for Sean Padula early on in his freshman year. His inability on defense uh, kept him off the floor while his offensive game was probably already ready. And now both those guys are able to play. And, you know, those are two high-level recruits 
that elevate the ceiling of your program and your team. And those are two building blocks for the future. So um, the positive steps we've seen from those guys, you know, like I said, we knew the offensive game was there, but they just needed to be able to be competent on defense. And they've gotten to a place now where the staff can trust them and they can go on the floor for extended periods of time and help close out games. And that's been huge over the eight out of 10 stretch. Um, now Chris Arvin talked about this on our interview, but you know, the defensive inabilities were a strong contributing factor in um, Joe Bama still's inability to get on the floor consistently last year. And hence he has since left the program. Um, so, you know, young guys learning how to play defense at the college level it is a challenge. Um, there's not a whole lot of defense getting played on the AAU circuits these days. There's not a whole lot of um, defense. Well, there's defense being played in high school ball, but largely these power five recruits and the kids Virginia Tech's bringing in, they don't really have to put a whole lot of effort in defensively to be able to keep up with their competition in high school. So there's a big jump in ability in terms of guarding the guy in front of you, but also a big jump schematically um, in terms of how defense is played at the college level and especially in the ACC. So um, continuing to groom the young guys and get them in a position to get on the floor early, um, it, it comes back to their defense because, you know, the guys Virginia Tech's bringing into this program are more than capable offensively. And we've seen the ceiling of this program and this team in particular be raised by guys like uh, Sean Padula and Darius Maddox. So, you know, the future is bright in terms of the backcourt, especially with those two. So I'm very excited about that. But in terms of this team in particular, um, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it, it is pretty remarkable with all the bad losses and all the headache and frustration from the fan base. And I'm sure for you know, Mike Young himself all year long, um, that this team is still in a position to get where they want to be. It's pretty crazy. It's a testament to the coaching staff. It's a testament to the players because, you know, they quite frankly have had a historic run. I believe it was uh, Diablo fan account pointed out a stat at one point. And I want to say it was something like 500 teams over the history of college basketball, I believe, um, started in their conference play two and seven. And Virginia Tech's the first one to finish above 500 after that kind of start. Uh, it was some stat along those lines. It was absolutely mind blowing. Um, but, you know, this, we knew the talent was there all year. I think we thought the talent level was a little bit higher than it was. I think we um, discounted the Tyrese Radford loss a little too much. And, you know, back to my point about Padula and his ability to penetrate a defense and get to the rim and score, that was Tyrese Radford's game for this team last year. Um, that opened the floor up for Naheem Aline to, you know, benefit from that on, as a secondary score on the perimeter. And we've seen more of that in the recent stretches, and it's, it's elevated the team. So credit to Sean Padula, credit to the staff. Darius Maddox doesn't seem to miss jump shots. I've also never seen a player get fouled shooting a jump shot more than Darius Maddox. Uh, I'm not really sure what the deal with that is, but, you know, he continues to make them too, even while getting fouled. So those guys have, have really been uh, the catalyst of the turnaround of this team this year in particular. And I think, yeah, it's all still in front of them. They're more than capable of beating either Clemson or North Carolina State. Um, they're more than capable of beating Notre Dame. And then, you know, that UNC matchup is – is one that is not ideal. Armando Baycott's a handful. I saw Coach K say uh, after their game the other night that Baycott's been the best player in the league all year. Um, kind of hard to argue with. His numbers are pretty dominant, and you know, he presents a lot of matchup issues that Virginia Tech hasn't been able to counter to this point this year. But first things first, <laughs> you got to win on Wednesday. 
Uh, and then you got to play a Notre Dame team that's had a very good year and a very good coach in Mike Bray. So it's all still there. It's all right in front of them, which is absolutely insane to say. All right. If Virginia Tech wins two, I, I guess, you know what? Let's, let's, let's back up a step. Does it have to be Clemson and Notre Dame? Like, does that have to be the combination if Virginia Tech only were to need two? I, I think for Virginia Tech to feel really good, they're going to have to win three, right? I think if you win three, you're almost certainly in. I would be very surprised if they're not, considering where they're at right now. You know, the fourth, the fourth team in the, in the first four out, right? They, they really only need to jump four spots. I think if you win three and two out of the three are – Notre Dame and North Carolina, I think you're you're in the tournament, you're in the field, especially considering how Virginia Tech's played in the last 10 games, you know, winning eight out of 10 to finish out the regular season. But does it have to be Clemson instead of NC State in order for, for Virginia Tech to feel like they have an outside shot by winning only two in the NCAA tournament? Or I'm sorry, the ACC tournament. I think if you win two... If you only win two, it probably helps if it's Clemson. But I really think what matters more is beating at least one more quality opponent. Um, I think if you win two, you need help. You need, um, I believe, some of the teams that are in front of Virginia Tech are like SMU and Indiana. Indiana, BYU, Dayton, Rutgers. Yeah, you need some of those guys to fall early in their tournament if you only win two. I think if you win three – I think if you win three in the ACC and two of them are against um, tournament teams, I don't know how you don't jump up four spots, I, I mean, at least winning, into one of the play-in games, which I'll take. I just win, want more Virginia Tech basketball at this point. Well, so yeah, I, well, I don't really winning, care. And winning three would put them in the ACC championship. Yeah. So, you know, you finish ACC runner-up in the tournament um, and you were on the bubble to begin with, I would think that you're in. Um, I still think they have a chance with two, but that would involve some early losses in other conference tournaments. Um, so, yeah, the Clemson game, I think, mattered more in the fans' eyes and even in my own head than it did in terms of the, you know, the bracketology folks. Um, I guess they didn't care that much that we lost that Clemson because we didn't really move. We stayed exactly where we were. And granted, some of that was help around college basketball, other teams losing that were in similar positions. but. Um, it certainly seems like in a lot of ways, even with that loss, we're still right where we would have been anyway, needing at least two probably in the ACC tournament. Um, so it, it didn't really seem to change much, which is kind of surprising. I, I thought we would would fall into that next four out um, with that loss, but we didn't move. So we do have the benefit of all these analytics really liking us, and that's due to the fact that we play close games every single night, which – as a fan is absolutely infuriating and drives people insane. But uh, for the computers, I guess they enjoy that kind of thing. A lot of the the more negative fans have been making jokes about Virginia Tech like being in the NIT since basically early January. It would be pretty funny if then Virginia Tech were to make the tournament and those fans are going to get really quiet after that, I feel like. Oh, I've had fans in my mention – in my mentions on Twitter all year long telling me how bad this team is, how bad Mike Young is, how bad, you know, that they're going to the NIT. And then there was a nice little stretch of about a month there where we went like six and oh, I didn't hear from those people at all. And then all of a sudden we lose that Miami game at the buzzer and they're right back in my DMs again. I'm like, you can't make this stuff up. I just feel like 
you know, there are, there are people who do this for football too, in terms of Virginia Tech, where like you only hear from them when the team is playing poorly. You don't hear from them after, you know, you, you beat North Carolina in six overtimes or you beat Carolina in the opener, you know, this past year, or, you know, you, you take teams to the brink that were supposed to beat you by like two or three scores. Well, I'm not talking like this past year. I'm talking just like multiple years. Like you only hear from those folks because they love misery. And I think the same kind of carries over to basketball. Like, I think there's a well, there's basketball, a basketball with Virginia Tech in particular, you can take it a step further because I don't think Virginia Tech fans in a lot of ways know what this is supposed to look like. Like, I, I, it's not supposed to be every year you go to the tournament unless you're Kentucky or UCLA or Duke. And even Duke doesn't make it every year. They didn't make it. Was it last year they didn't make it? Or was the year where they opted out, but they weren't going to make it anyway? So, like, this that was, isn't that supposed been last to be an, It's not supposed to be an annual trip unless you're one of those blue bloods villanova michigan state and even they have a hard time like this isn't supposed to be an every year trip um virginia tech has been very fortunate in the last five or six years to go more often than not and i think that will continue i have no doubt that this staff and this program is heading in the direction of annual trips to the ncaa tournament i just think if you take year two of mike young where they overachieved and didn't get in and you average it out with year three of Mike Young, where a lot of fans, myself included, are frustrated that we're not getting in this year or may not get in this year. Um, if you flip the two years, it looks like it's supposed to look, right? Year right. one, you don't get in. Year two, you almost get in. Year three, you get in. Um, there was a lot of a, there was a lightning in a bottle effect with last year's team, uh, a mix of a couple highly contributing Buzz Williams players with guys Mike Young has brought in himself. And now this year, um, you know, like I said, if you flip year two and year three, you feel really good about where we're at. I just think it happened in a different order than fans are comfortable computing in their heads. Um, and that's where the frustration comes in. And I totally get that. But uh, that, that's a concept I think people should think about a little bit. If if this was year two, how would you feel? And if you take right. last year and if that was year three, that's the exact trajectory that a new program with a new coach is supposed to be on. And if you go back to Mike Young's introductory press conference and look at the roster and look around Han Hurst, it was a new program uh, with the exception of Tyrese Radford and Mobisa Beattie. It was a brand new program. So um, I, I still think we're heading in the right direction. And anybody who is comparing Mike Young to Justin Fuente, please stop. Just, just don't watch any more games. Don't just don't uh, don't even watch anymore. If that's your thought process. I mean, M- Mike Young won 299 games at Wofford. And I, I've seen people compare that to like being a good coach at like a group of five in football or like winning at the FCS level and then not winning at the FBS level. First of all, a couple of things. Number one, these are two completely different sports. So you can't compare coaches across sports. You just can't do it. That's the problem. That's the problem is Virginia Tech fans compute everything back to football and it's not the same. Not, no, I mean, it's just simply not the same thing. Um, and like you said, I mean, if you flip years two and three, we're feeling really good about where things are at. And even so, I think fans should feel pretty good about where things are at. Uh, Virginia Tech is winning with lesser players. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Keve Aluma came from Wofford. Hunter Couture was a Wofford commit. You know, Storm Murphy was a all-conference player 
for Wofford. Like now Virginia Tech is is recruiting a bit better on the trail. Sure, there have been some misses, and no, they're not recruiting at the level that Buzz Williams did. But, you know, Buzz Williams and his staff, you know, the the way that they have recruited the way that they recruited Virginia Tech number one is the way they continue to recruit now at Texas A&M. And which program is in a better spot right now, Virginia Tech or A&M? And I'm also, and, and by the way, A&M is not going to make the tournament unless they win the SEC, which they're not going to do. So Virginia Tech, from a program standpoint right now, is in a better spot than A&M. Like Buzz Williams there is not going to make the tournament this year. He has yet to make a tournament at A&M. And Mike Young has already made one. And if Virginia Tech wins a couple of games this week, there's a decent chance he's already made a second. So I, look, and, and I'm no, done I, too. I'm, I'm done too, Ed, with, with fans like just being happy that like Buzz is losing elsewhere or like being bitter that he left. The only reason we're talking about Virginia Tech right now in terms of potential NCAA appearances is because of Buzz Williams. This program was an absolute shambles before he got there, and he elevated the profile of the program. And Mike Young has kept that consistent since he's been here, right? They're a team that's now expected to make NCAA tournaments. Why? Because Buzz Williams turned this into a program that basketball players across the state of Virginia and the DMV across the country care about now, right? They're relevant now. Virginia Tech was not relevant in basketball for almost a decade before Buzz Williams got there. It had been seven or eight years since they had made the tournament. You know, Seth Greenberg, for, for most of my time in college, right, in, in, the early, in the early 2010s, Virginia Tech was not making a tournament. They didn't make a tournament in four years I was in Blacksburg. They didn't even sniff it. This was a terrible basketball program in the ACC when I was at Virginia Tech. Um, I had gotten there just – I had gotten there, and my freshman year was Seth Greenberg's final year in Blacksburg. And Virginia Tech had a disappointing year, didn't make the tournament, and he was let go in the spring. Two years of disaster – an absolute disaster under James Johnson. And I saw year one with Buzz Williams and things didn't go too swell in year one, year two, they made the NIT and the, and the rest is history. Virginia Tech's been off and running since then. But I say all that to say that like Virginia Tech as a program now is in a much better spot than they were, like you said, even five or six years ago. And this is a program that historically has not gone to the tournament every year. Now that's the expectation. In some years, you're not going to win all the games that you won the year before, right? There are ebbs and flows in college basketball, as we've seen this year. Virginia Tech had a really disappointing first couple of months by a lot of standards. You know, losing games to, to Xavier and Memphis and Dayton. Like, a lot of people thought that Virginia Tech should have won at least a few of those games. You know, losing on the road to Boston College, losing to NC State after a COVID pause, losing in Charlottesville to UVA, losing to Miami at a buzzer, on a buzzer beater. Like stuff like that happens in college basketball. That's why people love the NCAA tournament so much because there are those crazy upsets and half court buzzer beaters and those wild things happen. But for Virginia Tech to be in the spot they're in now coming into the ACC tournament, that's something that nobody thought two months ago. The Hokies have a realistic shot to make the NCAA tournament if they take care of business. And Ed Tech has been playing tournament games now for like six weeks, right? It's been, the margin for error is so, so thin it's been a winner go home type mentality for the Hokies now for the better part of the last month and a half. And it's going to continue this week in Brooklyn. It needs to. Yeah, I agree. I, there's a lot of buzz haters and buzz truthers. Um, the truth is always somewhere in the middle. Like the way buzz left was 
frustrating because of how good the program was when he left. But let's compare it to where Mike Young's at in year three. Buzz Williams in year three in Virginia Tech went 22 and 11 and 10 and eight in conference. Um, Mike Young in year three is 19 and 11 and 11 and nine in the conference. Mike Young also played a significantly harder out of conference schedule than Buzz ever scheduled in his time here. Actually, than most coaches ever schedule all around the country anyway. So um, there's some remarkable similarities. And like I, like I said, the concept of flipping year two and year three, if, if this was year two of Mike Young, we would have almost an identical record a year two of Buzz and be almost in the exact same spot in terms of nationally, probably heading to the NIT, maybe going to sneak in the NCAA tournament. That's exactly where Buzz was in year two. Year three of Mike Young, or year three of Buzz versus year three of Mike Young, if you, if you flip it, it's the exact same thing. Buzz got to the first round of the NCAA tournament in year three. Mike Young got to the first round of the NCAA tournament last year. It's almost identical. Like the records are in, and the result are almost identical. Uh, so it's remarkable to me people saying, oh, he'll never be Buzz. How do you know that? <laughs> like everything to this point is the exact same. It's almost the exact same with a less talented roster in a lot of ways. Like the coaching is ridiculous. And, you know, me and Chris Arvin talked about this. The talent evaluation of Buzz Williams and of Mike Young is remarkable. You see Isaiah Wilkins right now, a Buzz Williams guy, leading his team to the NCAA tournament down at Longwood. Um, Tyrese Radford was an amazing Buzz eval. Uh, guys like that. And then Mike Young has just come in and done the exact same thing. Uh, Hunter Couture, Kevin Aluma, Justin Mutz out of the portal. Those are all fantastic evals by the head coach and his staff. Um, and I, I think that'll continue to, we'll continue to see more of that through the Mike Young era. But, you know, these, the programs in year two and year three of Buzz and year two and year three of Mike Young are almost identical. The results might just be flipped by a little bit. Um, yeah, 11 and nine in the ACC, 11 ACC regular season wins. Buzz didn't do that until the Sweet 16 year where he got 12th. So, it, it, these this program's in a very similar spot and you know the the doom and gloom i'm seeing on the internet and in group chats and on boards is is crazy because it just take a step back and look at the history and compare the two programs and where they ended up in those respective years record wise and result wise it's so similar um and buzz is doing it again at AM. you know they finished 2011 this year but only nine and nine in a stacked sec uh, so, yeah, they're probably not getting in unless they are able to make a run in the SEC tournament. But Buzz also tends to stack his non-conference schedule with inferior opponents, something Mike Young did not do. Um, Mike Young had St. Bonaventure might get in the tournament. Dayton might get in the tournament. Xavier going to be in the tournament. Uh, a good Navy program in Annapolis. Maryland at Maryland. Um, Mike Young stacked this non-conference schedule. Uh, maybe too much. <laughs> maybe, if yeah, Memphis, if he adds a few – cupcake games in there and we're sitting at 21 wins versus 19 wins it looks a little bit better on paper and maybe we're in the NCAA tournament right now so maybe that's a lesson that Mike Young will take away from this year is um, don't make it that difficult on yourself if you don't need to especially in the ACC um, which that's a whole different topic you know the national narrative that the ACC is down this year just because Virginia and UNC aren't as good as they usually are Wake Forest damn good program 
um, with a damn good coach. That's back-to-back years, by the way. A former Southern Conference coach has won ACC Coach of the Year. Um, back to your, you know, the talking point that you mentioned earlier where, oh, it's like coming from mid-major football to high-major football or to Power 5 football. No, it's not. There's good coaches all across college basketball. Um, and then there's another note on that that I'll touch on here in a second when it comes to recruiting. But Steve Forbes is a great coach. Mike Young's a great coach. Both those programs are um, in really good spots. And I don't know, man. I'm starting to ramble at this point because it's really frustrating to sit there and look at what Buzz did in year two and year three versus the reaction that Mike Young is getting in year two and year three. Uh, it, it is very frustrating when you, when you compare the two and look at what's really going on. It's remarkably similar. Yeah, it's similar. And, you know, I get the frustration from some folks because the program expectations are different now than they were, you know, in year two of Mike Young or year two of Buzz Williams. I get that. Totally. I get that, you know, folks are frustrated with, you know, Virginia Tech having three seniors in the starting lineup and now being on the bubble. But just because you have three seniors in the starting lineup doesn't mean you necessarily win the games you're supposed to win. Like it's college basketball and weird stuff happens. And you know what, Ed, I'd argue like with a, with a quote unquote down ACC this year, like I'd argue that Virginia Tech, because they scheduled so hard, you know, early in the early parts of the year, that's why Virginia Tech's even in the conversation right now. Um, when you right. consider the fact that they didn't pick up a quadrant one win until they beat Miami on the road last weekend. You know, Virginia Tech was without a quadrant one victory, but they were still on the bubble um, basically for the final four weeks of the season. And I think the only reason that was the case is because they scheduled so difficult early in the year. And they do have some wins against against teams that are going to get into the tournament. They're going to make the field. So, I mean, it'll be interesting. I think Virginia Tech has a, has an opportunity here you know, to, to still make the tournament. I think the fact that they're even in the conversation is definitely an accomplishment with, you know, considering how the first two months went and how the last two months have gone. Um, but overall, I think if Virginia Tech misses the NCAA tournament, this season will be seen as somewhat of a disappointment. But I think you just kind of look at how the season played out. There are going to be a lot of positives to take away, even if Tech does not make the field, which I know a lot of fans – I don't want to say a lot, but I think some fans will look at it that way. Some fans will say, well, they didn't make the tournament. This season's a, a failure. You know, there can be no positives taken away. I mean, I would, I would disagree with that, um, especially considering how the young guys in particular have contributed in the second part of the season. Well, and I've seen, I've seen some people, you know, some guys in the locks of Saturday group chat mention, um, in a lot of ways, an NIT run would be more valuable than, one and done in the NCAA tournament, um, getting, you know, more minutes for the young guys who are going to be part of this program moving forward. There's some validity to that. I don't think a lot of fans will take, take that well, but there is some validity to that. You know, I think Virginia tech can beat most teams in the country on any given day, but at the same time, the consistency isn't really there to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament, even if they do get in. Um, so there is something to, you know, if these guys, can make a run in the NIT that would go a long way to the development of some of the younger guys. So um, I just want to watch more Virginia tech basketball. That's the main thing in my mind at this point. Um, but, you know, moving forward, Virginia tech had some good news during that game um, this past weekend during the loss at Clemson, right about halftime, Darren Buchanan, uh, DC public school player of the year, back-to-back years committed to Virginia tech. Um, I've seen a lot of people not, not as excited as I was when that commitment came down. 
um, just due to, you know, people only look at stars and nobody actually bothers to watch film and look at anything outside of their, the person's 24 seven ranking. But um, Buchanan's a really good player. His game is very similar to Justin Mutz's. Um, although Buchanan's actually a bigger guy, uh, you know, as a high school senior is six, seven, two back-to-back DC public school player of the year um, led Woodrow Wilson high school to a very, very good year, including um, I believe their fourth out of five years championship in the DC public school system. Uh, like I said, six, seven, two twenty-five, really big dude uh, can pass it. His game is very similar to Justin Mutz. Um, and I think there's a lot of room to grow. And I think he is the type of player that good college basketball programs are built around um, guys like this evals like this, that could turn out to be a very good player in year three, year two. Uh, and definitely as a senior, I envision Darren Buchanan to be a really good player for the Hokies. So I'm really excited about that. Um, his offer sheet has a lot of those good college basketball programs on it. It doesn't have the Dukes and the Kentuckys, but he's got, you know, the VCUs, the Seton Halls, the Loyola Chicago's, um, Iona. He's got all those type of programs. And then he's got Georgetown and all the local schools up this way too. So a lot of really good programs on there with coaches that know how to evaluate talent and uncover gems. Um, so I'm thrilled that he's in the boat. That makes four commits now for the Hokies coming in next year and what will be a year where the roster is kind of overhauled in a lot of ways. Um, Rodney Rice, MJ Collins, two combo guards coming in, a uh, seven-footer in Patrick Wessler, and now kind of a three-four hybrid guy in Darren Buchanan. So they've, the staff's done a really good job of covering all their bases um, and recruiting two of their main talent areas that this program should and will continue to be built around in the Charlotte area and the DMV. So I, I think all in all, this is a fantastic class, very well-rounded, um, hits the geography that you want to hit as a Virginia Tech fan. Um, I'm very, very excited about this class. Buchanan was a nice late addition, you know, um, to, to, to bring in now with Walker, um, you know, to, to have Wessler and and then obviously at the gem of the class, Rodney Rice. I mean, I think Virginia Tech is, is well set up. I, I think the class addresses, you know, a, a couple of different needs. You know, you're going to have a, a big to come in behind Kevin Luma and Justin Mutz, who still have a year of eligibility if they want to use it. Um, you, you got Roddy Rice, who I think has a potential, if not next year, in at least a couple of years to, you know, fulfill like the go-to score role, um, just considering the program he's coming out of um, and, and to and to come to Blacksburg and emerge as that guy as kind of a premier recruit that, that Mike Young's been missing here um, in, the, in the first couple of years. MJ Walker is a really nice player. Um, and then Buchanan, Collins. like you mentioned, um, MJ Collins, I'm sorry, MJ Walker, Florida State. MJ Collins, a really yeah. nice player. Um, and then, you know, to add in Buchanan, who, like you mentioned, is a three-star. But when you look at the programs and you take a deeper look at, at who he is as a player, um, he is a guy who I think when you consider the programs that he's been recruited by, Loyola, Chicago, Seton Hall, VCU, Iona with Rick Pitino, you know, coaches who can evaluate talent. I think it's a really good point. And because he's not necessarily a elite prospect coming out of high school, doesn't mean he can't be a really good contributor, a really solid contributor for the Hokies in the ACC. Well, and what is the, I mean, just because 
24 seven doesn't have a composite rating. What is the, it's on three. Is that the other recruiting service? Yeah, they're new. I they're believe I new saw that on, on three had him as the number 121 player in the country. Yeah. So that's a really high um, ranking. I'll be interested to see if, you know, all the other sites now that he's committed to, you know, an ACC program, go back and take a look at him and give him a, a ranking and where he falls in the, in the composite world of things. But yeah, he's, I, I think a really good player and, an, and a, kind of a late bloomer in the public school system in DC um, where, you know, most kids are at the private schools, but he really wanted to stay and play for his home high school. And that was something that was important to him and reading a lot of interviews. Uh, and that was what drew him to Blacksburg was kind of that hometown play for your city in a lot of ways mentality that Virginia Tech can bring out. Um, MJ Collins is a stud. That kid's going to be a really good college basketball player. And in the way I view, I view recruiting in the Virginia Tech world is if this program is going to be successful and make it to, you know, sweet 16s and elite eights and get to where we want to get to, um, the program has to be built on college basketball players um, with the addition of a few studs here and there. And that's exactly how Buzz did it um, to get to the sweet 16, you know, Justin Robinson, Chris Clark, um, Ty Outlaw, Med Hill, Kerry Blackshear Jr. Those were all, you know, high three-star, mid to low four-star guys. Those are good college basketball players who are three or four-year guys with the addition of guys coming out of the portal as well as, you know, like you mentioned, your your mainstay guys like Rodney Rice, therefore Nikhil Alexander Walker in the buzz days. So I think the blueprint is very similar to how Buzz built his program. Um, Buzz got the J-Robs of the world in year one. Um, and, you know, MJ Collins and Darren Buchanan and Patrick Wessler are, you know, coming in in year three. But I think that that's how you build a successful long-term college basketball program is you get guys who are going to be around for three or four years, continue to grow and get better um, in your system. And then you supplement that with the portal and then really, really high-end guys like Rodney Rice. So I think this is a really good class that um, – two or three years down the line, man, these guys can be really good, really, really good. And um, I look forward to seeing which of these four are able to make an impact immediately next year. I mean, you obviously expect Rice will, but I think there's a, there's a scenario where Collins plays some significant minutes next year, as well as, you know, maybe even Buchanan sliding in there, depending on who comes back um, on the front court. So very excited, um, excited for the week ahead. I think, you know, there's work to be done, but it, man, it's still possible. And um, I think we'll, ha we'll have at least one or two more, probably at least two more podcasts, because I think it, at the very least, if Virginia Tech doesn't get in the NCAA, they're getting in the NIT. So uh, more games to come, which I'm excited about as a fan. I just I love watching, um, watching college basketball and watching the Hokies. So um, I look forward to the future two or three years from now. I look forward to the future in the next two weeks and seeing how things play out. Um, it could be really, really cool. And damn near shocking uh, based on where we were in December, but the, it, it's still somehow right in front of them. Everything they want is right in front of them. And this is why you don't count out college basketball teams in early to mid-January. It just seems like a really dumb thing to do. Ed, regardless of what happens this week, we'll be talking next week. Yes, we will. Go Hokies. Go Hokies.